Hello and welcome to the Talk Norwich City podcast. I am so, so excited to get stuck into this yellow and green conversation today. 232 appearances, 17 goals, iconic ones at that. 0304 Norwich City First Division title winner, PFA Team of the Year, 0304, former captain, blue and white batterer, Ipswich Town destroyer, Norwich City Hall of Famer, of course, it's Malky Mackay. Malky, how are you doing, mate? Hiya, Chris. Great intro. I'm not sure it's for me, but great intro. Thank you. <laughs> I'll take that. I'll take that. How's life treating you? You all okay? Yeah, good. Good. Still looking for three points on a Saturday, but enjoying it. Yeah, looking forward to talking to you today. Good man. Good man. We've got so much to discuss from your yellow and green roller coaster. I think it's probably yeah. fairly appropriate to say. And I think the best place that we should start is, is right back at the beginning. Uh, rewinding, dare I say, to be brave with you, all the way to 1998 when you wow. first signed for, for Norwich City. It was initially on loan, wasn't it? And of course, it was from from the Goliath up north, which is which is Celtic. What was that like for you at, at that time, coming from mm-hmm. such a massive club to then Norwich City down south? Sure. Um, at the time, Chris, I, it was a it was a terrific um, conversation I had with Jock Brown who had come to me it's from Celtic, director of football, and said to me that, listen, um, Norwich City have given us a call and, and they want to talk to you. Um, up to you, you don't need to go, but it's something for yourself. And I needed to get away. Um, I, I was getting to that point where um, I just wanted to get my, my career kick-started and I thought a move down to England would, would really do that. Uh, we played St. Pat's in the UEFA Cup uh, and I played in that game over in Dublin. And uh, Piers Brookshire was over at the game, watched it, and then... They put the bid in. Um, the loan thing was actually just to, to get us over the weekend. Right. Uh, the deal had been done. Um, my agent, Raymond Sparks, had moved Peter Grant down to you a year before. And um, so he knew the club. He knew the club well. He knew, and I'd, I'd spoken to Peter. He'd painted a really good picture of the football club. Um, so when we flew down there, um, arrived at Stansted to be picked up by none other than Duncan Forbes, the late, great Duncan Forbes. Wow, brilliant. Up at Stansted. And I had a chat with him the whole way to Norwich. He filled me in on all the, the history of the football club, which was great. And he's someone that for the six years then, hence, uh, I had real good conversations with. So delighted to meet him, going, you know, settling at the club. Um, and we got the papers signed over the weekend. So it really meant that it was loan over the weekend with a permanent then on the, on the Monday. Amazing. That's, uh, so that's the start of it. Well, and, and Malky, forgive me for asking, was this when we trained at Trouse rather than Colney, or were we at Colney then? No, we were up at Colney. It was just, it was not long after the start of that. Bizarrely enough, Chris, um, what, when I was about 12 or 13 years old, uh, my school went down to, to stay during the summer in Suffolk, and we played against the Ipswich youth team. We played against Jason Dazelle at under 12s. Uh, but we had a day where um, the club, um, Norwich City, allowed um, my school to go in to watch training one day. So the bus took us up from our, where we were staying. We were staying in Leiston in Suffolk. Yeah. And we, were, we came up to Norwich for the day and the bus took us up to Trouse and we watched um, uh, the first team train. I think Justin Fashion, who was there playing at the time, um, there was a guy called Austin, I uh, can't remember his second name, but he was the Scots lad that, that arranged it for us. He went to our school. So I actually was up at the, the old training ground as a 12-year-old watching Justin Fashion train. And then, wow. uh, what, 14 years later, Turned up at uh, up at up at Colney to actually then start myself. So, aye, strange little quirks. Love that you've dropped some big names already. You know, Duncan Forbes, Justin Fashioner. I mean, this is this is just brilliant, Malky. And, and a name that you've mentioned also is Bruce Rioch. And we've 
we don't really ever talk about Bruce, and that might be just because of the the uh, the, the generation of guests, I guess, that we talk to. We hear a lot about Nigel Worthington, which I'm sure we'll go on to in a minute, and um, we hear a lot about Chris Hewton, of course, Paul Lambert, who I'm sure you'll be familiar with, um, who crossed the border. Um, but Bruce Rioch, what was he like, Malky, as, as a manager and, of course, the, the man that signed you for the club? Did you enjoy working with him at Norris City? Really enjoyed it. Um, very, very straightforward, Chris. You knew exactly where you stood with him. Um, was kind of cut from the old Sergeant Major mode. Um, his father was in the army um, and I think, you know, brought up his, his son in that ilk. Was a, those that know, was a fantastic servant of Scotland. Played what a fabulous footballer, midfielder back in his day for, for club and country. Really good footballer. Um, and had gone in, obviously, he was the man that signed Dennis Bergkamp at, at Arsenal, the famous... Uh, signature of Dennis Bergkamp was was done by Bruce, um, although he had a tough time in at Arsenal as the manager. Um, but he came up to certainly when he when he spoke to me, it was very straightforward, very clear. Um, you knew exactly where you stood with Bruce, um, and it was a, it was I, I really enjoyed working with him. It was a it was a strange dynamic um, with him and Brian Hamilton, um, and I think what had happened was Brian had been brought in as a director of football. And then Bruce had been brought in as the manager a couple of weeks later, um, if memory serves me right. Um, there was then a conversation concerning an assistant manager, and it was decided that Brian would then become Bruce's assistant. Um, and certainly in the time they were there together, it didn't gel, and it never, ever looked as if it was going to gel. Um, you know, they never looked like a partnership. Um, and you could see that, and you could see that, that there was certainly some politics going on behind the scenes at that point. And even as a player, then you could actually, you know, because you don't see too much as a player as far as that's concerned. But even then, the, the two of them didn't look as if it was a partnership that was due to last, to be honest with you. That is interesting, Malky. And you, you've spoken there about Bruce and, and then obviously you've, you've brought, brought him up, Brian Hamilton and, mm. of course, Nigel Worthington. How did... Again, now you are a manager yourself, a gaffer mm-hmm. yourself. What sort of skills or qualities have you maybe used from those those guys at Norris City as, as the, the gaffer that you are today? That's a good question. I think uh, Bruce's authenticity, I think, is something. I think if, you, if you're um, someone that's fairly straightforward and you tell players the truth, whether they like it or not is another matter, but you, you actually give them the, the kind of your opinion, um, then I think that's a lot easier for you as a manager going forward. And I think Bruce had a very straightforward way about him. You knew exactly where you stood. There was clarity of message um, and there was an authenticity about him. And that's certainly something I took from him. Um, Brian Hamilton, um, again, came in off the back of Bruce and, and, you know, Bruce left and Brian came into the job. I think that was was a difficult situation. Um, In terms of how to handle older senior players, um, I think that was something that when I looked at, at the difference between Brian and then Nigel Worthington, um, Nigel allowed the senior players to kind of run the dressing room. Obviously, he sat above it and he had a real good work ethic about him. And again, I think from Nigel, um, he worked for Howard Wilkinson for a long time. And I think a lot of Howard, uh, the work ethic of Howard, and um, again, a very straightforward nature to him, um, helped help Nigel. But I think what Nigel did was probably a bit like when Howard Wilkinson had the famous Sheffield Wednesday and Leeds teams. He allowed the senior players to look after the dressing room. And maybe it was something that Brian, um, looking back in it, probably tried to be a bit school teacherish um, with senior players, and which didn't get in too well. And I think what, what Nigel did, because Nigel obviously took over from him and is an interim basis, 
Um, he got on board with the senior players right away to the point where I think, you know, I think if memory serves me right, when it came round to the fact of Nigel going for the job full time, um, three or four of us were asked their opinion by the board concerning, you know, how things had gone. Um, and and again, it was on a very positive way. So he looked, you know, he, he certainly gave us a little bit of autonomy and, and that was rubbed back in terms of, you know, when, when we decided to say, yeah, well, you know, he's done well for us and he ended up getting the job. And I think that, that certainly helped him along the way. So I think the man management side of it is the thing that I look at in terms of these guys. Um, when they're good, you know, Nigel could, the red mist could come down with Nigel sometimes. But um, I, again, with all of them, um, they've all got traits. They were all fantastic footballers for a start, um, all three of them. They all tried their best for Norwich City Football Club and being a manager, you know, results can go for you and against you. Um, but, you know, at times you can see the, now I can see how, how tough it is for them because they've not only got the players to deal with, they've got the staff to deal with, they've got the support to deal with, they've got the public to deal with, the, the press to deal with, and they've got ownership to deal with. And all those stakeholders make it a, a very, very tough job for a football manager as well as having to win three points on a Saturday. So I, I do have my, um, you know, later on in life, you start to think, do you know what, that's a, that's not an easy job they were doing at that point. And, and not picking me was just one of them, you know. I love that, Malky. That's so good. We we had um, none other than Leon McKenzie, your, one of your former teammates, on just a couple of weeks back. And he described Nigel Worthington as having headmaster vibes. Did you get that from him? Because when I met Nigel Worthington as a kid, I actually saw him as quite a calming presence. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe there is another side to Nigel Worthington. Was there a point where you perhaps got the hair dry treatment, dare I say? No, I mean, Nigel, um, as I said, Howard Wilkinson was was a, a disciplinarian. And I think, again, Nigel was was there at that point when he had a really good team, but a, a really tough uh, set, of, set of rules. Um, as I say, I think the senior players, uh, Nigel was very good with. Bear in mind, Leon was a pup and Leon needed to be kept in line. Um, but uh, And a great lad. But um, I think as far as Nigel's concerned, yeah, he, he could be hot-headed and in the minute, um, he could lose the plot. You know, we would be doing a, a little circle, uh, passing the ball to each other before training starts. And, you know, he'd have a little bit of um, kind of carry on in his head and being nutmegging people and be involved in it. You know, and then maybe two or three passes would go astray and, and then a third or a fourth one would go astray. And all of a sudden, he would just go bananas and stop the session and tell everybody to go on the line and run around the park at 100 miles an hour. And you come back thinking... What was that all about? He was actually involved with us. It was it was a fun session, but um, and I remember a night where he where he you know uh, one of our famous nights where we we near the end of the season when we were we were in the weight of promotion where he was so animated and angry uh, at half time that he kicked a skip, and unfortunately um, Terry Porcel, our kit man, hadn't unloaded the skip, so the skip never moved, and Nigel broke his toe oh. at half time. Um, so uh, you know the boys are sitting. Trying not to snigger laughing um, and and keep it serious, but you know, and he, and you see him walking away after his his rant, kept the rant going so that he did well there, and um, and you can see him limping over in the background. The boys are all killing themselves laughing at each other. Oh, but um, as much as that was the case, uh, Nigel was was streetwise and clever and wily, and knew that um, by keeping the group all together uh, with a real good atmosphere at the football club because, again, that was something that needed to change. You know, things hadn't gone well under Brian and 
Um, you know, I think I think there was a real culture change needed, and I think what Nigel did was Nigel really um, put his arm around all the players and tried to make it a kind of real togetherness atmosphere, and and did that with with Delia and Michael as well and the board, and it it really made a big difference after a very turbulent period. I mean, when I went down to Norfolk uh, to Norwich, there was about maybe ten eleven thousand people going to the games. Um, we were in, you know, at the bottom of the round about the bottom of the league, mid to bottom of the league. There wasn't a lot going on, and there wasn't. I don't think there was. There was, um, you know, there wasn't a lot of excitement around about the football club uh, or the football team for the city, as far as that's concerned. And I think when I left, um, there was twenty-seven thousand going to the games, and you know, Nigel made a made a big, big part of that, and, and the team, obviously, the team and the club and Dilly and everything else that goes with it. But um, there was a lot of excitement around the city and the football club then. But then, so you know. Managers can make a massive difference in terms of culture changes as well as players and as well as ownership. Let's take you to an exciting phase now, Malky. One that I guess is um, is a great memory for you, but also a heartbreaking one, which is that playoff season, that famous playoff yeah. season in, in 2002. And if we take you back to the, the game that I'm sure mm-hmm. we'll talk about in length, you actually scored in the semi-final, if you remember. It was 3-1 against Wolves at, at yeah. Carroll Road. Um, and then, of course... It was the heartbreak of the penalties. Here we are, the penalties against Birmingham at the Millennium Stadium. Just talk us through, you know, I guess the end of that campaign, Malky, and going into those games and how you felt. Yeah, I mean, it was, a, it was I suppose, a surprise that, that we, we got on a roll uh, and we started climbing the table. And as I said, um, we had some real momentum. Um, I think the last league game of the season was was a particularly... Um, a crazy one in terms of we played Stockport yes. um, and I think Burnley were playing Coventry um, and I think it was to do I think I, I scored near the very end um, and I think we had to wait on the pitch for a minute or two for the Burnley game to finish and I believe Gascoigne had a Paul Gascoigne had a free kick um, and Marcus Hedman was the Swedish goalie that was in goals for for, for uh uh, for Coventry, I think, and he pulls off a great save. And I think if that had gone in, I'd, I'm not sure whether we would have gone into the playoffs or not. So uh, it was a really hell of an ending to a season, and, I, and you know it was a it was a great way to go into it. If, if, if memory serves me right, Chris, it is correct, Malky. I was going to ask you about that when I talk about your your goals right. later on, but you've got there before me. That's sure. a great point because it was one by it was by one goal, the goal that we ended right. up in, in the playoffs, and then of course yeah. that Wolves game yeah. and that final. So. That was an interesting one, the Wolves thing, because I mean, they finished out, they might have finished even 10, 12 points more than us. And I think they, they had just slipped out of second place mm. um, in the last few weeks of the season. And, and by all accounts, it's probably not true, but by all accounts, everyone at the time was suggesting that Wolves had did their, their uh, Premier League tickets printed already. So that kind of maybe something that they that was told to us to give us a little bit extra edge, but. Um, we certainly went into the, the first semi-final um, as the underdogs. They were the favourites for the for the whole thing, um, and it was a beautiful sunny day down at uh, Carrow Road. Um, and we lost a goal early doors, and I think we were under a fair bit of the pressure in the first half. But I think second half we turned it round. Um, we scored. Uh, Mark Rivers scored. I think Paul McVeigh scored a header, um, and I think I went up in the last minute just. Just for the laugh, just for the hell of it, and um, and I, I managed to get my my head on a on a ball at the back post. I remember, I think it was Clint Easton that clipped it across, and 
that got us to 3-1, which gave us a little bit of breathing space going into to Molyneux the following Wednesday night. Yes, it was. Yeah, completely correct, Malky. That that was that was it. And then, of course, we progress. We get to the final. So, Malky, what were your standout memories from that game at the Millennium Stadium? I mean, the the penalties, of course, we'll talk about. But Ewan's header, the lead up to the game, and the I guess perhaps the biggest heartbreak of your Norwich City career is, is that fair to say? Yeah, very much so. Um, I remember we we actually stayed at the Celtic Manor, which is a fantastic hotel. It's where the Ryder Cup was. Um, but it's not until years later that we realised that 24 of the 27 teams that stayed there that played finals at the Millennium Stadium lost, um, oh. which is an incredible start over a period of, what, six, seven years that, that, that Wembley was out of commission and it was used for FA Cups, League Cups and, and playoffs. Um, beautiful place. We, we stayed there, long drive into to Cardiff through traffic. Um, we, we, you know, our fans uh, was incredible. Going out for the warm up was quite interesting because they closed the roof, Chris, um, and for the, the the game because of the weather, and it was so warm inside when the warm up just felt so claustrophobic because obviously by that point seventy thousand fans were in, the roof was closed, and it was um, by by kick off it was very very warm, um, tight tight game. I remember we played against Jeff Horsfield myself and and Fleming, tough good centre forward, and Birmingham were a good team. Really good team, and um, but it was a very tight game. Very little in it. I don't think there was too many chances at either end. Um, we get to extra time, and Robbo scores a fabulous header. I think Alex Notman crossed it, and he scores a fabulous header, a reverse header. Um, we couldn't hold on. They managed to scramble one back. I think Horsfield scores. We take it to penalties, and 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 obviously then it's the lottery, um, and, and we lost on penalties. I think the, the overriding feeling, uh, I was captain that, that night as well, and I think the overriding feeling, um, you know, all families were there and, and, you know, a real disappointment. We got in the coach and it took us forever to get back. Um, you know, we, we, we had a long drive to, to get through from Cardiff to Newport even. And it was uh, it took forever to get back um, to the hotel. And it was, you know, you're sitting in your own thoughts. Um, and it's funny because it wasn't until the summer where the fixture lists came out and... Um, the team that goes up, usually um, the the Premier League give them a, a, a really good game, an opening good game. And Birmingham, I saw that Birmingham got um, Arsenal at, at Highbury. Yeah. Um, Highbury or the Emirates, I'm not sure which one it was, but either way, maybe it was it was Highbury at that point. And then ours came out and um, Norwich City were starting at Grimsby at Cleethorpes. <laughs> and we've got to do this 46 times again to try and get this. And I think that's where it, it really hit in that, you know, you do all that and we get to that point. Um, they say the playoff final is the best way to win it. It's also the worst way to lose it, especially on penalty. Absolutely, mate. I mean, I, I'm quite fortunate, I guess, as a, as a fan because I witnessed us lose that final. I was in tears as a kid. Um, so thanks for that. Um, but then, of course, later <laughs> on, the, perhaps a decade later, we then go and, and win it under under Alex Neal. So I totally agree. The best place mm -hmm. to win, the worst place to lose. Malky, fast forward just ever so slightly to this moment. Let me show you this picture. Any uh, any memories from this game at all? <laughs> yeah, that was a that was a fabulous one. Um I think that was it was that where we, we scored the I scored the two goals against Ipswich. Would that be that? Correct. Don't swear on this podcast, Malky. 2004. <laughs> Great memory. And and it was actually your two hundredth appearance for the club, wasn't it? And 
um, you know, it's all very well and good scoring one, but scoring two as a defender, I mean, that's something that has just obviously written you in North City folklore forever. And what were your memories from from that moment, that game, that day? I think firstly, um, one of the biggest memories of me coming to Norwich was in my, my first Ipswich game and realising that um, how big it was for the two counties. Um, two huge counties in England, um, Norfolk and Suffolk, and um, the realisation that, and, and you know, the people in Norfolk and Suffolk are, are uh, lovely people who then all of a sudden turn into maniacs when it becomes the Derby game. And, and it really did hit me hard, you know. First time I think I remember... Um, we went down to Portman Road and there was police horses and dogs herding fans into the stadium. And mm. I hadn't seen this at all at any game that we'd been at so far at this point. And, you know, there was a lot of media speculation around the games. And um, it just any game I played in, it was the best game of the season. Um, the, the Derby game at both either at, at Portman Road or up at, at Carroll Road, it was terrific. And it was it just gave that something extra. The fans, um, obviously it was full houses. Um, the fans really didn't enjoy each other. Um, and I, I obviously I, I enjoyed them because and the, the generally I came out on top on them. I think um, I nicked one did at Portman Road, but the two at Carrow Road that day was something special. It was in the, the year that we were going for promotion. Yeah. Um, you know we were flying. Ipswich were doing well. Ipswich had a good strong team that year, and I think what I remember mostly is other than the fact I should have scored a third. Um, I'm not being greedy that day, but I actually missed a sitter to go to third. Darren Huckabee. Um, ran to the line and pulled one across and I flashed it with it and I miskicked it. And I, I, I would have made that would have made the hat trick. But I think more than that, let's not be greedy. The more the one more than that was um I always remember Joe Royal's interview at the end and and I've yeah, Joe's a guy, fabulous guy and I've, I've met him a lot of times since. But he came across so bitter at the end that they were fantastic on the day. We didn't deserve to beat them. Yeah. Uh, the goals were rubbish. Um, just one of those things where it was like, Joe, just swallow it and accept you get beat on the day. Um, and I, I, always, I, I always remember that. But I to score, you know, for our club um, in a derby game is is quite something. But for us to get managed to get two on the day, and you know, I, I really enjoyed it. You you did enjoy those games, didn't you, Malky? Because as you said, you scored in a one-one draw against Ipswich at Portsmouth mm. Road one year ago, and then you also were part of the team that. Beat them in 03-04 with with Leon McKenzie as well. Of course, he scored. Yeah. He scored a couple as well on his on his debut for the football club. So, what I guess my question for you there, Malky, is what was it for yourself that just meant that you went up a gear without turning into a nervous wreck? Because you see some players crumble in those occasions, but yeah, you just stood up and you were just a man mountain, and no one could get near you, and you just you battered them every time. Like what what happened to Malky Mackay yeah. that? I think you again. It's maybe something that from from when I was younger. I managed to, to play in a couple of old firm games, um, and you, you you start to handle that sort of occasion and the, the hype that's involved in it. And um, honestly, I when I when I came down and I, I, without a word of a lie, they were fantastic occasions. The 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 derby at Carroll Road and Portman Road, the the fervour within the fans, the extra hype attached to it, the full houses the razzmatazz around it and the fact that both teams had had really good sets of players. There was there was there was some quality players in both teams around about the time that I played there. And um I just loved it. I loved the bigger atmosphere. I loved being involved in 
high-profile games. I always felt, and I said something I say to my players nowadays, talk about test yourself against the best and in the best atmospheres and experience these things. And it was just something I really enjoyed. We had, we had a really good core, and I'm sure we'll talk about the team, but we had a really good core of players, Chris, that were experienced men that, that looked after each other out in the pitch. And I think that's one of the biggest things that we looked after each other out in the pitch and in games like that, you needed to. Um, and as I say, you know, over the piece, over that little period, I think we came out on top quite a fair bit. I did, I did uh, Malachi, I did leak that I was doing this interview with you to a, a Norris City fan and friend of mine who's um, known as Spud. Most people know him as Spud. And and, and he wanted to ask you what your favourite goal was. Because for me, I'm like, well, obviously it'd be Ipswich, but... He was big on that goal against Stockport, which we mentioned already, mm. to get us into the playoffs. You scored one away at Millwall in 0203. I'm not sure if you remember that one. What was like the goal for you where you're like, yeah, that was the goal that I'm I'm the most pleased with at Norwich City? I think I think you've actually topping it there. The, the the Millwall one was was one we were playing away on a Tuesday night or something like that. And it I kind of went for a long throw turn and it dropped to me and I hit it with everything I had and it and it was a screamer. But um the Stockport one was the one. I mean, the Wolves one, obviously, was the extra goal that kind of helped on the night. But I think looking back on it, the Stockport one, the atmosphere, uh, we had kind of been languishing for a while. And I think the fact that that year, when uh, by the end of the season, the excitement had built, the fact that Norwich possibly were going to get to playoffs um, meant that that last day against Stockport, it was, it was mayhem. Um, and especially the fact we didn't even get there by a point. We got there by a goal. Um, I think probably meant that, that that last minute against them, the score in that one there then meant a fair bit to me, I suppose. Um, you know, my, my, my young boy was was born around about that time as well. We'd, my my uh, girlfriend then wife uh, moved in with me to Norfolk, uh, big commitment, and the two of us were down there and we had Callum down there in the Norwich and Norfolk and he was you know, just months old um, and he was at the game with her. And I think a culmination of a lot of things meant it was a very special time in my career. Amazing. And I love the fact that you scored so many times against Ipswich that it's almost just become a standard for you, Malky. You're not bothered about those goals. Um, Malky, you've spoken about the core group and you've spoken about how important that group was. And of course, mm. prior to this conversation and all of our conversations on Talk Norwich City, we get you to send your best Norwich City 11 in. We have got it in front of us now, Malky. This is some side. This is some side. I mean, talk talk me through this this team from from back to front, Malkin. I, I guess sure. I guess we should start with 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 Greeno. I mean, and my memories of Greeno were that he could lob a ball from like over the halfway line with like one finger. He was just absolutely ridiculous. What were your what were your sort of your memories of Robert Green in in between sticks? Oh, he's a terrific boy. We're still friends to him to this day, and and. Greeny was the, the understudy to Andy Marshall. Now, Andy Marshall was a fabulous goalkeeper for, for Norwich City and another good friend who's still in football. Um, and Andy had been an England number 21 goalkeeper. Um, it was probably getting to the point where it was time for him to move on. We had young Greeny coming through underneath him. Clearly had potential, but was really sloppy. And, and as a youngster, was someone that, that the senior players were always getting on at in training to, to tidy himself up on, at training. Um, and you know it was one of those ones where you could see the potential there, but but I need him. He was very relaxed and laid back as a boy, um, and it was a case of and he'll, he'll probably say this himself when he was young. He was a bit sloppy in training, and you know he was always just seen as Andy's understudy. I think he came in for a if I'm memory serves me right, Chris. He came in for a a, a derby game, 
against Ipswich and it might have been his first ever game and he came in and he was fantastic on the occasion now he had a really experienced back four in front of him and myself and Flem in front of him and I think made a difference to him but I, you know what what a way to take the jersey and you know not relinquish it and go and end up becoming a, have a fabulous career and end up being an England international footballer so great to have Robin goals and I've, I've got him there and you know Andy Marshall was a great goalie as well and he, but McGreeny just shades it and goes in goals we tend to always put Robert Green over. We've had Andy Marshall on the podcast. We've spoken about him crossing the border. Don't worry. Friend of the channel. But we always <laughs> tend to side with Greeno because of that. And Malky, I'll tell you a player that often doesn't get praised, apart from when Darren Huckabee talks about him, and that is Mark Edworthy. You've put him in your team. Why have you put Mark Edworthy in there? I'll tell you why. Because, Eddie, um, we, were, we were light, probably, at fullback. Um, Dan Kenton was, was in around about the squad he was young and I think Nigel Worthington when he was building this team that we had that year was, was still looking out for some other cover or, or somebody and Eddie came into us just before the season started they kicked off on the Saturday and I think they signed him on the Friday afternoon I think we went to Bradford um, and um, they put him on the bench for the Bradford game and it was a, a, you know Eddie had been had played at a couple of other clubs had been a reasonably experienced player um, came into the club on a free transfer, uh, met the guys, was very, very comfortable walking into the dressing room, a very easygoing character who you clearly saw knew his way around English football in dressing rooms, immediately endeared himself to the guys um, and came on at half-time in the Bradford game in the first game of the season and didn't come out of the team the whole season. Yeah. Steady Eddie. He played every week at right-back. He was part of the group. He was a good guy. He gave a 7 out of 10 performance every week. Um, and that year, um, he was he was terrific, Chris. And honestly, um, great guy, great professional footballer, kept himself really well, adapted, him and his wife adapted to the, the, the club and the, the city and the, the county really well. Um, and ended up getting into the team and doing really well. So that's why he has to go in it right back. Malky, um, a player that you've featured in a in a left back is of course Adam Drury. Now we always like to have surprises on the Talk Norwich City podcast, and he has sent in a message to read to you, Malky. So hold your breath. Well, let's see if it's a nice one or not. Adam Drury says, during my time with Malky Norwich, there are plenty of great things I can say about him. He was the leader for me, and I was disappointed the way it ended. He scored important goals, iconic goals, any game, not just the big games. He really looked after me. Everyone says that I couldn't get near Hucks up his side, but that was because Malky never let me leave his. <laughs> I've never seen anyone eat as much pre-match. I had to get in before him. If not, there was nothing left. He had a Sunday dinner portion every time. When I became captain, Malky helped me massively. He could have been arsy, but he wasn't. Him and Flem had a great partnership together too. And having him alongside him helped him actually because he moaned more than Malky, which covered for Malky because he loved to moan too. Hope him and his family are keeping well. From Adam Jury. What's your response Brilliant. to that? Brilliant. Just terrific. What a fabulous young man. Um, a great signing. A great signing from that. Again, you know, you talk about, you've asked me about managers. Managers fall or die on signings as well. And Ed Worthy was a great signing. Adam Drury was an incredible signing for Norwich City. And what a servant. We got him from Peterborough, as far as I'm aware. Um, he was stepping up a division. 
not always the easiest thing to do. Championships are really, there is a jump from the championship down to the, the first. And he came in and he absolutely hit the ground running. He was so quick, very comfortable in the ball. Um, and he had to do, I mean, it was a great defensive fullback. Um, had to be because Hux never saw our side of the halfway line. So um, he, had, he had everybody running up and down that line. Um, and he, he just, he was a great foil for me because he was so quick, could cover around me and I could talk to him. Um, really enjoyed playing alongside him and, and you know, went on to be a, a, an incredible servant for the football club, captain the club. Um, and yeah, he was playing there alongside myself and Flem. But, you know, he embraced the step up really well. Um, it settled into the area. Um, and again, I thought it was a great. You, as a manager, you never want to care about either fullback. You want them just to go mm-hmm. in and those two guys to play every week the whole season. And I think you know people just forgot about having to pick a left back for years because Adam was just the guy that you would put in there. And that's great testament to a, a professional footballer. So good, good to hear from him. What, what's your response to the uh, the Sunday dinner portions, though, Malky? Did you take all of the blood pre-match? Or? I'm, I'm wondering that he must have some sort of uh, brain brain phase there. I was a salad. I had a salad every pre-match. I had a salad. few lettuce leaves, bit of tomato, bit of cucumber, right, okay. very little else. Must oh. have been. I think I think it was Flem. He's thinking of. Oh right, okay. Well, speaking of Flem, I have another surprise for you, Malky. He has sent in a video for you. Let's see what Craig okay. Fleming says about Malky Mackay. When people look back and remember Malky, um, they remember the charismatic, big character, Braveheart type guy, um, dominating both boxers, uh, scoring iconic goals for the club at very important times in the club's history. And, you know, to be fair, all of that is, is, is spot on. Um, in an era where most teams had big, big number nines. Um, Malky could hold his own with all of them. Uh, very rarely getting dominated against some very, very big, powerful guys. Um, but for me, I think Malky's biggest strength was probably his his football intelligence, his his knowledge of of the game, his positional sense. Um, that really stood out for me. I think that's what probably was the bedrock of our partnership that we both understood the game together. Um, and I think that's shown now in Malky's career. After football, when he's after playing football rather, when he's um, had a very successful career as a coach and a head coach and now manager as well, um, he's shown that same knowledge and understanding of the game. As a character, I think he's probably exactly what he wants in his dressing room now. To be honest with you, uh, a leader, set examples, led from the front, consummate professional, um, and just a just a solid kind of guy. Um, away from the game, as a, we had some good times, some good good fun. Um, I remember our little corner in the dressing room in the training ground. We had, I think Malky was four, me five, Hook six, and Muller's seven all getting chained in a little corner. Um, and they were very, very good times. Um, away from football, I think we had uh, some very memorable nights, Malky, down at the bottom of Prince of Wales Road. But those stories are probably better for another day. Hope all's well, Malky. Uh, regards to the family. And it'll be good to have a catch up soon. Take care, mate. Bye. Well, it started off, Malky, with I wondered how much you'd paid him to say that. And then I thought at the end of it, well, 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 I need to hear about some of these Prince of Wales stories, Malky. I was getting worried. In fact, I was getting worried from minute one because he's got a a hell of a sense of humour. And um, 
It's great to hear. It's great to hear from him. He's, he's. Uh, I know he's just recently left Southampton after being there a really successful period for a number of years there, and I'm sure he'll be back in soon. But um, he is a top guy. He really is, and and I was lucky. I was lucky. I played alongside really good people, and um, you know we've got him on there at the moment as well. He he was um, the best centre back um, that that uh, I think that um, Norwich City had in a generation. He was so consistent, um, and he, and we did work well together in terms of um, he, he was he was light and quick and tough, um, you know, and we, we we worked well as a partnership. He read the game really well, um, but he was also really good in addressing him um, in, in an area with big characters. Um, you know, he was always at the forefront of the not the Mickey taking, but at the same time making sure people were okay, keeping people in line. Top top pro. I mean, I'm 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 reflecting a lot of stuff here on him, but um, you know, he, he became someone I became really friendly with mm-hmm. and close with. The only problem, the only somebody talked to me about rooming with people, and the only reason that me and him never ever roomed together was the fact that he used to go to bed at half seven on a Friday night. We literally would finish pre-match. Uh, sorry, we'd finish dinner at the hotel the night before the game, and oh, within yeah. about half an hour, he was in his bed and needed the lights off, the telly off, the curtains closed. I needed to be sleeping for about eight o'clock, whereas I was a bit of a vampire. Um, so, you know, we, we wouldn't be able to room together. We wouldn't be compatible that way. But um, he was someone that I think everyone at the football club would have a good word to say about because he was such a, um, a stalwart for the football club. I think he won player of the year, if, if memory serves me right as well, and rightly so. I think probably one of the most consistent players I've played with. I don't think we've. I honestly think Malky now, and I'm sure <clears throat> I'm sure most Norwich fans would agree with me watching and listening to this. Is that I don't think we've had a better centre back partnership. I really don't. I can't. I can't reflect on a time where we've had two centre backs so consistent, so solid. And of course, your midfield did an element of protection, and of course, you had that mm-hmm. that left and right back who who were both exceptional. But and, and of course, a goalie in between the sticks. He wasn't half bad either. But you two were just so good. What what? what what do you think it was? What was the magic there, Malky? Because you see centre backs these days, and it's like it's either one is the is the shit house, dare I say, and one of them is maybe the intelligence or the pace. Mm-hmm. But you two seem to be actually quite, in my opinion, quite evenly matched. You had almost a, mm-hmm. a similar skill set, but yet you complemented complemented each other perfectly. I think what, what you. He was, a, he was a, a gruff Yorkshireman. I'm a gruff Glaswegian. I think we, yeah. it was a work ethic. It was a kind of a gritty work ethic about the two of us. Um, and I think what he said there else as well in terms of actually reading the game, we both read the game really well. Um, both prepared to stick our, our neck on the line and, and like other centre-backs do. Um, but I think we both read the game well. We both clicked at a good point in our career, I think. Sometimes that is the case. You go somewhere and the grass is not always greener. And I think we got to a point, we've just got to a team, a group, a group of people that clicked together and, and really enjoyed each other's company. I mean, the back four and the goalkeeper, I think I was suspended for one game um, and young Jason Shackle came in who's had a good career himself. Yeah. I think the rest of us, I think I played 45 of the games and the, the Adam, Craig and Eddie and Greeny played 46. Now, I think if a manager's got a back five that plays 45, 46 of the league games, um, that that tells its own story, but yeah. um, no, I, I, someone that that um, again you, I talked earlier about authentic people, really authentic guy that that you know you knew exactly where you stood with him and trained hard every day and played hard. 
Malky, let's let's move up now into your midfield. I mean, there's, I mean, where do you begin? You've got Darren Eady, an absolutely fabulous winger. Phil Moran, who of course is, is now changed to, to become a priest, which is random, but, but there we go. We've got three lungs in midfield. Gary Holt, we've got yeah. Hux out wide. Talk us yeah. through this midfield. Who are the perhaps the, 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 the two players there that stand out for you the most in that midfield? Uh, I'll get to that in a second, but we've, you've just skipped by Matt Jackson, I think, for some reason. Oh, okay, yeah, well, we can go Matt Jackson if you want. Let's go Matt Jackson. <laughs> Matt was a Matt was the was the captain of the club when I arrived and, and made me very very comfortable and welcome. Um, and was a was a consummate pro. Another one, bit like Flem, really good pro. Had did a great career at Everton, um, and and was the captain in the dressing room. And, and someone ended up coming in my honeymoon with me. Him and his wife turned up in my honeymoon <laughs> with me. Uh, and he was a good friend of, of Flem's as well, but another stalwart for the football club. So that's all. Can he miss him out? That's sorry. So he's no, still no, a friend I, to this no, day, actually. No. So Chris, I'm definitely not missing him out. As far as the midfield's concerned, Darren Eady was someone that I, I played with a little bit at the start when I got there. Uh, a fantastic talent, um, hell of a left foot, quick, um, scorer of fantastic goals and, and a really good guy. And, you know, still lives down in the area and does a lot of the commentaries. Um, probably even himself looking at it would probably think that he didn't quite hit the levels that, that he, he probably potentially could have hit. I think I think um, fair to say England under-21 internationals moved from us to, to Leicester, but you know I, I think he could have gone on and kicked on even again. But for, for Norwich City, when I was there at the start, his pace um, and his goal-scoring ability and the fact he was an X-factor, um, and, and he's a really good bloke as well, he gets into the team um, no problems. Um and Midfield speaking... with Gary. Sorry, carry on. No, 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 Mark. It's just saying, speaking of X Factor, I mean, surely you've got to speak yeah. about Hux. He had the X Factor, didn't he? No, Hux is, Hux is one of the biggest X Factors I've ever seen in a, in a, in a football league. He, he literally blew the league away. Um, we did his defending. That was he, he didn't enjoy coming beyond the halfway line back the way I think he was allergic to it. But by God, um, when, when, when we kind of uh, oh, and bloody noses from the ball hitting it and, and defending for our lives and kind of managing to scramble the ball to him. He then took over and he would just put the afterburners on, beat three or four people and roll it across for unit score. Um, he was a huge impact on our team. I think it was one of those ones where um, it was it was well documented now in terms of the ability for us to take him on loan. We brought him on loan at the same time as Big Crouchy. Um, we got him for a period and I think in that period... He was one of those guys, I think, in Man City. He wasn't quite getting into their Premier League team, but, um, you know, we, we got him on loan. And I think the agent was was doing all the damnedest to actually flog him to anybody after the three months were up. And I think it was really to do with Darren and his wife, uh, who we had kind of brought into the fold, um, loved the club. And and again, I talked to you about, the, you know, the grass being green or somewhere else. and You're just hitting the right part of your career at the right, the right time, the right place with the right people. And I think that was the case with Darren, and he loved it, still lives in the area, and became an absolute legend for the football club. Great guy as well. So he was a huge part of, uh, you know, we, we as, as um, Flem said, we sat fairly close to each other as well. And um, Hux was a, was a massive part, and, and probably just, I would imagine at that point, uh, if you look back on it, he had various clubs, but I think if you ask Hux, probably it was the best time of his, his football career. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, very much a friend of the channel, Hux is Malky. So we can't compliment him too much. Let's quickly move oh, on of course. Uh, into sure. uh, into Philip Mulrine and and Gary Holt, three lungs. I mean, that's sure. a in the middle of the park, isn't it? 
Very much so, and I'll tell you why. Holt Holt and Muller's really complemented each other. Um, Gary had known from Celtic. Um, Gary had a really interesting background and was a chef in the army. And Lou McCarry was at the British Army Cup final as a guest of uh, someone and actually saw him play in the final and and took him as a bet, not a bet, but took him as a punt to, to Celtic. Um, couldn't get the couldn't get the release papers done. Um, ended up, at, at, you know, and we, we managed to come across in, at Norwich again together. Um, one of the fittest players I've ever seen. Um, did so much of the dirty work in midfield, uh, unsung hero stuff. But wasn't unsung because eventually everyone realised what a job he did and the amount of um, kilometres that he covered during the during the game. Um, and he complimented Mullers because Mullers was. At the time, one of the best passers in the division. We got him from Man U. He was a kind of young star, big, big personality, terrific lad. Got a terrible injury. Um, I, I remember at Blackburn, he got a double double leg break at Blackburn and at Carroll Road and never was the same player again. But still a close friend to this day. I mean, he's he's his whole um, career, even down to you know going to Northern Ireland and being sent away from Northern Ireland and retiring early and becoming a priest. It's, it should be a film and a book. Yeah. Um, and my, myself and Paul McVeigh and Mike Milligan actually went over to his ordination in Dublin. So we watched him become a, myself, my wife and the, the, the two guys were over there and, and um, I had a beer with him that night celebrating him becoming a priest over in Dublin with a couple of hundred people in a cathedral. Uh, all those years later so it's it's a fascinating thing but it was another fabulous footballer and really could have gone on to be something special but the two of them in midfield really complemented each other I suspect if it was with uh, if, if it was with Mike Milligan I suspect there was more than one beer shared on that occasion let's quickly move yeah. up on to uh, those top two I mean Craig Bellamy and Ewan Roberts I mean talk about name dropping Malky I mean where do you begin on those two boys uh, we start with Bellers. Bellers was a precocious young talent when I arrived. Um, cheeky little rat, I think, is the word I would use to start with. Um, and, and, you know, he came through the youth team. He had just came out. When I arrived, this young pup that was in the first team squad, too much to say for himself, um, to the point where one day we just, uh, we were driving over to Birmingham, I think, in the bus. And he had been far too gobby on the bus with the senior players. And he went to the toilet. And myself and Ewan Roberts just decided to lock him in the toilet. And we got all the bags and threw the bags down into the bit where the toilet is and pulled it, put it up to there so the door could only open that much. And he started off for the first half an hour um, like a Tourette's victim, shouting and swearing and going bananas. And then as the journey kept going and he realised, I better shut up here, eventually to the point where we handed him in a piece of paper saying, I will never be cheeky to the senior players again and if he's to sign it. And we would let him out. And we let him out, I think, about 20 minutes before we got to Birmingham. Um, yeah. he, uh, he was a hell of a talent. And, and what a career since then. He, his pace, again, was something that, and, and his touch and his aggressive nature and his belief in himself um, clearly showed what he was ended up going to be. And he got a great transfer fee. The club got a great transfer fee and he moved on to, to bigger and better things. And, I ended up managing Bellers over at Cardiff later yes. on in his career and we became good friends. To this day, we're still good friends to this day and he's doing really well as um, assistant manager up at Burnley right now. Um, and, and it just, it was a kind of full circle. You know, we started off um, with each other back at, back in the day and I ended up managing him late on in his career um, to a bit of success that he got. So um, he's a great guy, but someone that was a hell of a talent for, for Norwich City. Is he still cheeky for you, Malky? Is, is, is he still a bit cheeky? Does he still try and chance his arm a bit with you? Or do, or do you remind him about the piece of paper that he signed? 
No, I, I, I pulled the, I, you know, at Cardiff City, I pulled the paper out a couple of times and showed them that we still, we still had a contract. <laughs> oh, I love it. Malky, let's talk about you and Roberts. I mean, an iconic Norris City striker, of course, we've spoken about his brilliant goal at the Millennium, Millennium Stadium, but what was you and Roberts like behind the scenes? Uh, Ewan was a, a fantastic, fantastic guy. Um, somebody, again, that we, we got on really well. We would actually argue every day in training with each other. A big, big character. Someone that was a, a huge part of our football club. Um, great goal scorer. Great front to the team. Brave as a lion. Um, and we, we lived close to each other. So we would generally go in with each other in the morning. Uh, you know, swap cars and we'd, we'd, we'd car share in the morning. Um, so we'd chat all the way in about anything and everything. We'd chat all the way home about anything and everything and we would fight like cat and dog at training every day, argue. Again, I suppose big characters digging people out, digging each other out. You yeah. know, forward thinks the defender's rubbish, defender thinks the forward's rubbish. Um, <laughs> and But but my God, was he a, was he a leader in our team? Um, and as I said, you know, we're, three or four of us were, were reasonably big characters at that point and it, it really showed in the big games. Um, people standing next to each other in the trenches and by God they're viewing in the trenches next to me um, a, a real real um, iconic player the teeth came out um, and I'm not sure a centre back in the division enjoyed playing against him on a day like that when he was on song uh, which was most of the time um, but he, he was he was another one that I again I think you know he'd been at Wolves um, he'd been at Watford again a place a former club of mine and I think at that point, um, that season, a couple of seasons, it really clicked for him. And, and it probably, again, another guy that would think that at that point, he's probably some of the best football he played was there with a good group of people. Malky, I don't say it lightly. I think that's the best team we've ever been submitted on the Talk Norris City podcast. We've had many, but I think in terms of consistency, in terms of raw talent, in terms of ability fitness, leadership, it has everything. So thank you for sharing that that team with us. Malky, I've, I've got something quite quite difficult now. I suspect it'll be difficult anyway, so I hope you're okay talking about it. I want to talk about your departure from Norwich mm-hmm. City Football Club. And to be honest with you, it comes from a, from a selfish perspective because I remember walking past the post office as a young boy and seeing Malky sold to Hammers. And I was devastated, Malky. You broke my heart. But of course, there's more to that, isn't there? There's more to that story. So what was that like? Because there was a lot of toing and throwing between you and Nigel Worthington at the time. And I guess I'd like you to have the opportunity to sort of clear the air on that. Sure. Yeah, I mean, we. it's no uh, surprise that I, I absolutely loved my time there. I was there six years. My son was born there. You know, I, I had some incredible times and didn't want to leave. Um, probably would have signed contracts till I retired. Uh, loved living in the area and, and just had a real good group of people from the players to the staff. You know, um, the likes of Val Lemon, uh, who's a, an iconic lady at the training ground, the PA to the manager, fantastic lady. Um, Steve Foley, a, an incredible coach that, that coached so many players. Keith Webb, another one. Um, so there was, there was people running about the club um, it was a, it was a good place to be. Clearly, Delia, Michael, Etty, um, who who just are Norwich City, really showed that that culture, and it was a culture I didn't want to leave. And I think, come the end of the season, we obviously came off the back of a, a, an incredible winning season, um, and um, I was lucky enough to get into the Scotland squad run about that time, Chris as well. 
No. Um, we we went to Malaysia pre-season because Proton were on the shirt sponsor. Yeah. The, so yeah. they flew us over to, to, to Malaysia, which um, we had a week there. And while we were over there in one of the training sessions, um, young David Bentley had come in from Arsenal and loan. And, and he, he slipped on a, a dreadful surface we were playing on. And he slipped in training and he careered into me and caught my ankle. And um, kind of tore my ankle ligaments, but only only a little bit, but, yeah. but tore them enough that it put me out for like maybe a week, 10 days. Um, so I came back from it um, and I, I saw that we had signed a um, couple of players. We had signed um, Gary Doherty and Simon... Um, what's his Charlton. name? Simon Charlton. Simon Charlton. Yeah, both of them play centre-backs as well. So... Um, I always remember we came back to, to train back at Colney again and the weather had made the pitches hard and I was I was slightly limping back at training again, maybe back a week or so too early. I wanted to be fit and ready for Palace and Newcastle and Arsenal and everything that was the start of that season. Yeah. Um and was probably slightly limping a little bit still, but but nothing that was that was going to take anything other than a little bit of time to get back fit. But sensed a, a change, I suppose, um, and how I was, I was being viewed. Um, and then we went away. Um, I, I, I never got picked for the first game of the season, which I was disappointed with. Um, and then right away, um, we went away on international duty, myself and Gary Hope, because it was, it was right then. And we were due to play Spain in Spain and then back home at Slovenia in the European qualifier. And I was really proud of the whole Scotland situation because it came really late in my career uh, and incredibly proud that I'd managed to get caps. So um, we were over there and, and the Coventry physio was with us at the time. And he approached me and said, um, I'm due to go on holiday when we come back from this, but I'm here and I'm doing a medical on you for Coventry. And I was mm-hmm. like, what? I says, no, you're not, you're not doing it. It must be the wrong guy you've got. Um, we then played Spain on the Friday night in Spain. And it was, again, a hell of a hell of a night in your life. Um, you know, we played them, we, we drew one each with them. The, the lights went out with 10 minutes to go. I think one of our guys had cut the power cord uh, to get us out there with a draw. But um, stayed rooming with, with Holty and the, the following morning, I, I woke up and Nigel phoned and um, asked us how we were. I said, I am fine. I said, did you watch the game last night? And he, he hadn't seen the game, but, you know, myself and Gary did well and had just played for Scotland against Spain in Spain. Um, and then he said, you know, listen, I'll, I'll get to it. Um, Coventry have bid for you and I've accepted it. So um, you're away for another 10 days. So go and talk to them and that's probably the last we'll see of you then. And it was a real shock. I was sitting in the, I would just come off the back of a high of the Spain game. Uh, the following morning, sitting there getting ready to do the warm down and that hits you, um, thinking I'm going into the Premier League with my club. Um, so uh, that then means then okay, there's a, there's a situation where I've got to deal with this now because clearly the manager in my club has decided that he's going in another direction, and that's that's fair enough. That, that's that's life, you know. And and being the manager myself, if a manager makes a decision, that's life. You know, me saying to him, "You're making a mistake. Um, give me another chance." It doesn't really work like that, you know. And the manager's already made his mind up, so. Um, you know, I spoke to my agent. Um, I decided that that wasn't the move for me. Coventry wasn't the move for me. Um, and when West Ham, obviously, news got out then that there was, I was going to be, I was going to be up for grabs. Um, 
West Ham, who'd been relegated to the Championship, and Alan Pardew were desperate to then sign me. Um, and this was all run about when Scotland were playing Slovenia. So I played the game and it appeared that there was a, a, a discrepancy in what they were wanting from Coventry to what they were wanting from West Ham. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's been documented. I had a, a 6 a.m. phone call to Nigel Wellington. No idea where he was at that point, but he certainly he vent, I vented and he felt the full force of my thoughts on, on him um, in terms of uh, how he wants to deal with me leaving. Um, no qualms that he wanted me to leave, um, but there's a way of doing it. And I think uh, what I suggested was just at right about that time, my conversations with him that, um, you know, we'll let both the, the local public and, and Delia um, know exactly what I, I felt in terms of my loyalty to the club and maybe the, the club's then decision is to, if it's going to let me go then, to decide to do that in a manner that befitted how we both treated each other. And yeah. that was the that was the, the little point at the, at the end. And fortunately, um, Neil Doncaster, who was the chief executive at the time, was, was a very good CEO and he was actually the, the Scottish League's CEO just now. Yeah. Um, dealt with it, had a conversation with my agent and, and it all got settled amicably in terms of uh, a, a parity with what West Ham would have to pay compared to, to Coventry City. And it was done. I got on the plane, Chris, um, a Norwich City player um, from Glasgow after the coming home from the, 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 the Scotland camp. And I arrived in Norwich as a West Ham player. Um, and it was, my, my wife broke her heart crying. I went into the house with the baby and my wife broke her heart crying. I said, listen, I've got to be in London tonight for a medical. And we'd been there six years. She'd settled in, had great friends in the area. And it's, it is one of the parts of football that it's just life. It's one of these things that happens, but you, you've got to deal with it and handle it. And it's not always easy. And it, it really kind of, it's turbulent in the, the family's lives. So, you know, that was that was one thing we, we, you know, just put the phone off and I had a couple of hours and then get in the car and had to drive to London. And that was me finished as an Norwich player. It just happened as clinical and coldly as that. Of course, it ended up better for you, obviously, with West Ham. But I just, I think you're very, I'm so happy to hear that it ended amicably, Malky, because after all these years, I just wanted to assure you that the Norwich fans look upon your career with Norwich with, with such fondness. And I just remember the shock at that time around the press and the fan base. And we had, um, we were having some fun on this podcast last season and uh, we were talking about when Emmy Buendia left and how that was so upsetting to Norwich mm -hmm. fans. I went, you haven't heard anything. I remember when Malky left and that was worse than when Emmy Buendia left. So um, I'm pleased it ended amicably. Um, Malky, I'm going to ask you another cheeky question now, if you don't mind. 2007, um, Peter Grant, a name that you've mentioned already, left Norwich City as manager. You were heavily linked to take the reins at, at, at Norwich at that time. Did talks ever take place? Would you have ever... Uh, been interested or wanted to, to to take the opportunity at Norwich City if it was presented to you? I, I've got nothing but the highest regard for the club, Chris. Um, I, I remember that time because Peter's a good friend of mine and, and um, you know, he was there as a player. Um, he was a player with me at Celtic and when he went back to the club, I was, I was delighted that he was going back in as manager and it didn't quite work out for him, let's just say that. Um, but I, and I and I saw that my name had been mentioned at about that point. Um, it wasn't something that ever ever you know caught fire. Um, I suppose is the word I would use. Um, but um, yeah, I've got nothing but the highest regard for the football club. Love the club, and 
I'm in management as well. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's a great football club. Um, Delia and Michael uh, and Etty are, are people that I hold in incredible regard. Um, the, the, the support of the fan base, they give me so many good times, so much happiness in my career. As I say, my son was born in the Norfolk and Norwich Hospital. Um, so as much as we were only there for six years, there's a little slice of us that are that are Norfolkers, and we we were taken into the the, the parish of Thorpe St Andrew really well, and the people there, um, and we've still got loads of friends in the area. So, um, you know, I, I've been back a couple of times to watch games, and and um, I've got nothing but the best and highest regard for the football club. It was something that I've you know, of course, been being a manager there of of Norwich City would have been. Uh, as, as as big an honour and highlight um, as it would be in a player. So, mm. aye, who knows? Who knows? I'll take that. I'll take that. And obviously, you've been back since as well with with Cardiff. And I remember that was a hell of a game because there was a a very dodgy Leroy Fur goal, if you remember. Yeah. And it all yeah, the sidelines. So. Yeah, and I remember it. And it, you know, as I say, that it's it is a bit um, emotional. It was emotional going back there with another team. As the manager of another team, you know, I, and and I was given a lovely welcome. I remember it. You know, you're still trying to win, and they're still trying to win. You know, but to go back to the stadium where um, I enjoyed so many good times with so many good people, then the Norwich fans were just the best. And to go back as the Cardiff manager that day was was um, it was difficult to be honest with you. It was difficult, and I remember that very incident. Um, you know, the the, the referee. Um, you know, he's wanting to give us the ball back and Leroy Fair decided to to not play ball with the other 20 players on the pitch and the managers. Um, and, you know, it only it took some some quick thinking from the referee to to not embarrass the Norwich players and having to let a goal go in at their own end. Um, mm. So, I, I mean, it, listen, it was little things like that, but um, no, nah, it was a stadium that, that still gives me a, a shiver when I go back into it and the, the ghosts of Christmas past are still flying around. I love that, Malky. Let, let's talk about present day. You're at Ross County now. What are your ambitions mm. there? What is, what is that football club like? I guess you're in your manager's office now as we speak. Yes, yes I'm here at the moment. What, um, what county like? It's a, it's a terrific little football club. Um, probably the smallest club in the Scottish Premier League. Uh, punches above its weight. Had to. Uh, we're in the Highlands of Scotland, up in up near Inverness, uh, owned by Roy McGregor, uh, a, a self-made man who loves the club and has owned it for 25 years. In that sense, not unlike Delia, um, a real passion for the football club and wears his heart on his sleeve, allows me to run the football club, um, you know, and the football side of it and bring a lot of the high performance aspect that I dealt with at the Scottish FA as the director in there into this football club. And we've got to just keep our head above water and stay in this league. It's a tough league for us. We've come up against Celtic and Rangers, and you know we get um, two and a half thousand fans, and they get they get seventy thousand fans. So it's uh, it's difficult at times. Punched above our weight last year, um, and we managed to get into the top six. This year we're trying to survive um, and do well. But I'm loving football management as I always have, um, and and I'm kind of I'm getting on with it, Chris. Malky, we wish you all the very best of luck. And on behalf of the Norwich City fans, I wanted to say thank you for your leadership, for every game, for the heartbreak, the 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 all of those those brilliant iconic goals against that that team in blue and white down the road, the title win. We're so grateful. And Malky, have you, have you got a final message, perhaps to the 
to the Norwich City supporters um, that, that supported you over those years at the football club? Absolutely. And, and just before I suppose I say that, Chris, I'd just like to thank you for uh, giving oh. me the chance to, to come on here and, and um, give us that platform to say thank you to, to Norwich City and the fans um, for all those memories and, and backing me. And, and every time I was down there, it was a, it's, a, it's a great club and it's warm and dear to my heart. So all I've got to say to the fans is, on the ball, City. Yay! Malky, I love that. That's absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you to everyone listening and watching around the Canary Nation. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Talk Norwich City podcast with the man, the myth, the legend that is Malky Mackay, do give us a tweet. We are at Talk Norwich City and I will share all of them as a thanks for your support. Malky said it before me on the Bull City.